2: Welcome aboard a crazy, crazy Friday as college basketball reigns supreme. We will dive into that and take a look ahead to what we could see not only on Selection Sunday, but also Final Four weekend in New Orleans. Get Aaron on Twitter at Aaron underscore Torres. You can find me on Twitter at at Dan Byer on Fox. Check out the latest lines on the world of sports at BetRivers Rivers Sportsbook. BetRivers Rivers is the trusted name in online sports betting. Must be 21. Must be present in Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, and Pennsylvania to play. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. You heard Brian Fenley give you the latest on what's happening with the scores, uh, including in what's happening in the SEC tournament with Arkansas having that lead on LSU. Auburn, the top seed in the SEC. Aaron ousted earlier today by Texas A&M, so the Aggies move on to the semifinals. Well, I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's better for Auburn. They can get a few days off before the the tournament runs. They are going to be uh, one of the teams that's going to get a get a high seed. I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing for those higher seeds to maybe get a little bit more rest. Yeah, you don't want to lose, but you know these conference tournaments to me are more for about the teams trying to make their case for the NCAA tournament. A team like in Indiana, but when the brackets filled out, we aren't talking about Indiana necessarily as a national championship team. This week is about those teams trying to get into the tournament, and then next week after that, it's about Cinderella and teams trying to win it all.
1: Yeah, every team's a little bit different. Like last night um – Baylor lost in the their their opener of the big T- the Big Twelve tournament, and they're kind of what you're talking about, Dan. Is they're a team that they've been banged up all year. They just can't keep all their guys healthy. It seems like all the good karma that they had coming out of last year uh, has been unfortunately. It's just a lot of bad luck this year, and so they're a perfect example of a team get home, you know, get your guys rested, all that stuff. Auburn's a little bit of an interesting case because they really haven't played that well down the stretch coming into. Um, You know, coming into the SEC tournament this week, they were four and three in their last seven overall, five and three, excuse me, in their last eight, uh, really struggled away from home. And so I think Bruce Pearl wanted to kind of get his team back on track. They were talking about it during the broadcast today of... Pearl kind of joking like, you know, uh, uh, we we I guess Auburn set some sort of record in terms of the number of tickets that they sold for this conference tournament, and he said how important it was to him to keep his team here all weekend so that the fans could get their money's worth and all that stuff, but at the end of the day, uh, as you said, nobody remembers. If you, if say Auburn or a team like that, uh, if they lose in the first round of their conference tournament but then end up ultimately making a deep run in the, ter- in the NCAA tournament, nobody will care, nobody will remember. And it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, see how a team like that bounces back, Baylor, all that kind of stuff.
2: I also think that the the momentum that we thought that teams would get for the selection committee or momentum is probably not the right word. But we've we've realized over the last few years that winning a championship conference championship game on Sunday usually has no bearing on where you are in the bracket because the bracket is already set there have been teams who have made nice runs in conference tournaments and the SEC is one of those tournaments that would end on Sunday and it doesn't affect the seating is I mean so you don't want to lose in the quarterfinals Aaron but it doesn't necessarily I think pay a huge benefit to you if you win your conference champion uh, tournament when you're a top seed especially if you're playing on Sunday because the committee in recent years has shown that those outcomes don't really play a part in in where you're seated.
1: Well, it's funny you say that. Uh, John Calipari has made that argument for years. There was one year where I don't remember all the details now, but essentially it came down to there was a belief that if they won Kentucky playing on the final Sunday of the regular season, if they won the conference tournament, that they would move up a seed line. And I forget if it was from two to one or three to two or whatever. Uh, and they were basically the same as they had been projected earlier in the week. And Calipari kind of in that, that you know, um, the bracket is released. Uh, he does kind of a state of the union every year. Uh-huh. He kind of threw, yeah. I mean, he kind of threw a fit. Like, why are we playing on Sunday? And 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 I do think there is something to it. Where, um, you know, I, I understand why CBS does it the way it does. The Big Ten tournament ends, go right to the selection show, all that good stuff. But I do wonder if the bracket and the integrity of the bracket and putting together the best possible bracket. I know it sounds corny and dumb and insignificant, but you know we got people competing for a championship here and, and I, I do, personally, as a fan, want the bracket to be as fair, as balanced as it can possibly be and I know that these guys and girls all say, oh, we have all these contingency plans and if this team wins this, then the bracket will do that but I just don't think there's any way to really do it. So it's interesting because John Calipari, maybe now as Coach K sets uh, gets set to retire, maybe the most prominent voice in the sport, has basically said the exact same thing that you just said, Dan, which is why are we playing these games on, on Sundays if they're going to have no impact? You didn't say that, but you said that it really has had no impact historically, and I think John Calipari would agree with you.
2: Yeah, I feel the same about that. Auburn uh, with the loss today though, I still would think people would would consider Auburn a contender for a national championship, um, at least making it to the Final Four. Heck, they, you know, were the number one seed in the SEC, at times were the top-ranked team in the country. They may have the first overall pick in the draft on their their roster, so there's there's a lot of reasons to like Auburn, but are there a lot of reasons to like a lot of teams heading into heading into March and heading into this tournament?
1: Well, you, you just uh, set me up for my soapbox that I get on every year. Because, <laughs> I was I was you know,
2: trying to, I was trying to do it naturally, and then I'm like, maybe I'll just ask you, nah. you know.
1: No, it's because, you know, I and, and you, you mentioned it at the end of last hour, beginning of this hour, I, I love college hoops, you know, uh, I don't want to say more than anybody because this is the Doug Gottlieb show and I know the passion that Doug has for this show, but I do love the sport and it is interesting this time of year and I don't know if it's uh, ignorance, I don't know if it's certain media members trying to create interest in the tournament, but you turn on all these tournaments, and every single year, except maybe last year when Baylor and Gonzaga were so much better than everybody else, you hear all of these people. Oh, it's so wide open; anybody can win it. There are forty teams every <laughs> seriously, like like every year. And so I, I I'm glad you, you you asked me because what I would say is I think fans, and and by the way. Getting to a Final Four is a crowning achievement for any program, whether you're Duke or Kentucky, all the way on down. You obviously want to win it once you get there. But I do think there's a difference between getting to a, fin- a team that's good enough to get to a Final Four, which we've seen historically 8, 9, 10 seeds. Last year, UCLA as an 11 seed got there. And being able to win the national championship. And I think people forget, when you get to a Final Four, you're only 66% of the way to a national championship. you still got two more games to play, and they're probably against really good teams. And so a stat that I always bring up that kind of blows people's minds is that every year we hear about how wide open the tournament is, how wide open the national championship picture is. Uh, since 2007, so the last 14 NCAA tournaments, obviously there was not one in 2020. Of the last 14 tournaments, 11 have been won by number one seeds. Uh, Two of the ones that were not by number one seeds were by my alma mater, UConn, in 2011 and 2014 when they had by far the best player in each tournament, which was obviously Kemba Walker in 2011, Shabazz Napier in 2014. And then the only other one was Villanova, in 2016 which was the top two seed in the bracket and so essentially you're going to hear over the next two to three days it's so wide open anybody can win there are 68 teams that could get to new orleans for the final four i will tell you that that might be true and that maybe this year is the one exam what is the one outlier but the last 15 years the last 15 years We have a pretty good sample size that if you're not a top five team going in and really a number one seed, if you're not a number one seed or you don't have the best player in the tournament, you're probably not winning the thing. You can get to the Final Four. You can have an historic year. You can hang a banner if your school hangs Final Four banners but not National Championship banners. But you're probably not going to win it off of the six line no matter what uh, your favorite talking head says when your team is playing this week.
2: It is, it, it is a very good point because I do think that people look at the Final Four as a finish line for yes. 40 teams in the tournament. And then the other eight, let the, the, to your point of if we're going to put the two seeds in, so we're taking sure. the ones and the twos, that those are the teams that are then uh, – their finish line is is winning the national championship. So that's forty eight teams. Then you have twenty that really just have no chance. They're, sure. they're not going to they're they're not going to make it uh, to a final four unless something really you know really really crazy happens. But that's kind of it, it is how it is viewed. I also look at it like this, Aaron, and just from from a bracket filling level of it, it 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 transcends into into the the common people. Who follow a bracket because when your team loses, one of your final four teams loses on the first day, you say, "Oh, well, I'm done. I had them in the Final Four. But to your point of like, where is the hay really made? You're only two-thirds of the way there to win in a national championship. It's funny on how many people feel their brackets are toast because they may have lost a Final Four participant on the first day. And it's so not true because if you are running a bracket pool, and I know I took it down the bracket road, but if you have three of the four teams in the Final Four, you likely are faring pretty well in your in your bracket pool. So it's just like the Optics of it, and what what we think of of what is real and in what is fantasy. I actually thought it was a lot more when you were bringing up the names of teams that made Cinderella runs. But then, as you think about it, and that twenty fourteen. Final Four. What, what was Kentucky a seven seed that year? When when yep, correct. Yeah, right, well, they,
1: so, something like that. But UConn was a seven, and I think Kentucky oh, was an. They were eight an or eight. Nine. Yeah, they, yeah.
2: Yep. That is correct. Yeah. I knew. I thought it was a seven-eight matchup in that championship game, and that twenty uh, eleven Final Four was. Uh, I, I know your team won, but that was one of the one of the worst Final Fours that we've had in a while. Well, it um, was.
1: But even even that Kentucky uh, uh, UConn thing. So Kentucky had basically lost their whole team. But their, whole, but they made the championship game as an eight seed. But their freshman class that year was considered at the time like one of the great recruiting classes in the history of the sport, um, and it was headlined by Julius Randle, who's now playing mm-hmm. with the Knicks and having a ton of success in the NBA. But it's not as though you know they were an eight seed from uh, you know John Ramos's beloved Mountain West or uh, the the Atlantic, you know, fill in the There's blank. compact yeah, well, yeah it was. Yeah, Yeah, it was Kentucky with five or six McDonald's All-Americans in their previous recruiting class that made it as an eight seed. So, you know, and and I think it goes back to exactly what you just said, Dan, is and this is something that there's nothing wrong with it, but it, it is how the sport is covered. Is the the road to the Final Four? That's what we always say. There's it's on the side of every building. You know, you walk into one of these conference tournaments this week. There's a pretty good chance that it will say on the side of the building the road to the Final Four. Mm-hmm. And listen, I don't really care. The Final Four is a great spectacle. We were talking yesterday with Softy. I know you've covered Final Fours. I've covered Final Fours. Uh, it's a great event. But I do think that a lot of people forget, and by the way, sometimes you see it when teams show up. I'll give you a quick example, but I mentioned that Villanova team in 2016 that won the national championship, and they played Buddy Heald's Oklahoma squad, and Oklahoma had come through the West Regional, and Oklahoma had beaten Oregon in Anaheim, and it was a game that I was actually at, I actually covered, so this was 2016, And I was in the the locker room after the game, and these guys were talking about, we're going to the Final Four. Our goal all year has been to go to the Final Four. And I knew right then they weren't beating Villanova. Villanova beat them by about 30 that year in (laughs) in the Final Four because everything had been building towards – And I don't remember how long it had been. I think 15, 20 years since Oklahoma had been in a Final Four. They were a veteran group. Obviously, Buddy Heald, we all remember his great story as a college player. But the whole season had been built to, we got to get to the Final. Can we do it? Can we do it for Oklahoma? Can we get to a Final Four? Well, they got to a Final Four, then they got smacked around pretty good by Villanova. And so uh, it, it's such a great point by you is is I love the sport, but the way we cover it is the road to the Final Four, not the road to a national. By the way, we see it in other sports too, right? The Super Bowl, sometimes a team just gets there, and they're not ready for the stage, things sure. like that. So it's yep. not only a college basketball thing, but it is worth noting.
2: But it it, it it is like losing a Super Bowl, like in the grand scheme of things, isn't good because, you know, the Vikings have never won a Super Bowl. We still tag the Bills with – um, you know them never winning a Super Bowl and being zero and four, but we've never said that about teams making runs to Final Fours. We count the number of Final Fours that they've made as success, and it, it is it is completely different in that in that nature of where it is success. There are four teams that really can leave as winners every season. Now there's only one champion, but there are four schools that actually could be uh, thought of as winners. And I'll say this just to just to wrap up the topic on this point the the Big 10 is a conference that I follow pretty closely. I think that there are three or four teams in the Big 10 that could make a run to the Final 4. I don't think there's any national championship Great team in there. And so so there there is the difference. Like there is there's there's getting to that point a team that could make a run, maybe Johnny Davis gets hot for Wisconsin and makes a run. I don't think it's going to be a Kemba Walker type run, you know, for UConn or Shabazz Napier. To your point, I think the Big Ten's got a lot of good teams. I just don't see a national champion out of that team. You yeah. could have Final Four teams, as I said, like Iowa making a run, and you know, Illinois, who lost today, uh, who knows what happens with them, and obviously Purdue and Wisconsin, as I mentioned. But yeah, I just don't, I don't see. I don't see a national championship. I do see some maybe Final Four teams or a, a team that could be a Final Four caliber, but a, not a national championship winner. How many do you think this year? Like six, seven teams? How many do you think it actually have That can win the whole thing? Yeah.
1: Well, I said about three weeks ago I thought it was down to five. And one was Auburn, and they've been terrible since. Duke's been kind of up and down. The five that I, I, I thought it was down to about five maybe a few weeks ago was Arizona, which just had their point guard get hurt, uh, Kentucky. Duke, Gonzaga, and Auburn. Uh, I'm selling my Auburn stock. Okay. I would have probably bought Baylor stock, but they ended up losing. I, you know, I I don't think Baylor. It's inconceivable that they could, but they just can't stay healthy. So, I yeah, I just. And again, I think it's very observant by you to say that I think there are a lot of teams that can get to a Final Four from the Big Ten, but not win it. But again, you know, I got to see how the bracket plays out because this this part of the cliche is not false, which is that there is no truly dominant team where it's going to take just something extra worldly to beat them like Baylor and Gonzaga last year. So, I need to see a bracket because I I may like Kentucky right now, but I might hate a matchup in the Sweet 16 or the Elite Eight. Same for Arizona, assuming they're healthy, things like that. But I would say probably five to six. Um, But some of these teams are starting to, you know, Baylor's banged up. Duke's kind of been up and down. Uh, Kansas really hasn't put their foot on anybody's throat of late. So it's just an ever-evolving top of the sport. And maybe, by the way, maybe by the end of this weekend, maybe somebody in the Big Ten looks great, Uh, Wisconsin, Purdue, et cetera, and I feel differently. But I would say those four to five.
2: He's Aaron Torres. I'm Dan Byer. This is the Doug Gottlieb Show on Fox Sports Radio. Sitting in for Doug. If you miss Doug, don't worry. He's going to actually stop by in 40 minutes as he's currently covering the Big Ten tournament. Today's Doug Gottlieb Show brought to you by Discover. Real credit card questions require real people. Someone who understands your issues and works to resolve them with you. That's why Discover offers helpful U.S.-based representatives available 24-7. Discover. Exceptionally common sense. The latest on the Atlantic 10. We'll get that on the other side because I know John Ramos is eating his lunch right now. And A big shakeup to how you watch NFL football on TV. We'll explain next year on the Doug Gottlieb Show on Fox Sports Radio.
0: Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live.
2: Doug Gottlieb Show on Fox Sports Radio. John Moreau, CMLB Network, Fox Sports Radio. Contributor going to be joining us. We're moving past lockout talk. We are now going to be talking free agency and where some of the biggest names in baseball could find homes. We'll get an update from Brian Fenley in a second. Plus, John Ramos right now has an update of what is happening. It is the Doug Gottlieb Show. He's Aaron Torres. I'm Dan Bayer. John Ramos shifting gears from the Mountain West to now focusing on the A 10. What is happening in the A 10 tournament? John Ramos is our Atlantic 10 insider. Aaron and Dan is Is barn burner okay to use? Can I use that term? I'm going to use it. St. Bonaventure, the Bonnies up with only a minute 56 left to go in this game. 54-52. It's a close one, and and, uh, we'll see what happens. It's very, very, very tight, and anything can happen at this point. Yeah, and anything can happen, like St. Louis just taking the lead (laughs) 55-54 in the Atlantic 10 quarterfinals. We have got you covered here. There's also this bit from the New York Post, Aaron. Joe Buck is leaving Fox. I saw that. Joe I feel like he's Buck he's as,
1: as Fox's Homer Simpson yes. and Peter Griffith, man.
2: Yes, this is uh this is crazy. Um so Joe Buck leaving Fox apparently going to Monday Night Football. So um yeah. Where do you is-
1: stand on the announcer you know pay scale thing like it feels like it's quickly become one of the most divisive topics in our industry which is either you pay whatever you pay to get the best people or nobody tunes in to watch the announcers and and i actually don't think that i have a strong opinion on this i'm curious are you like super fired up one way or the other about uh you know about and and i don't really care i think there's
2: i'll just put it this way i'll just say it i'll put it this way i think that there is cachet I absolutely think that there is cachet, and so it's worth the money. When your team hasn't done anything and all of a sudden a Joe Buck and Troy Aikman came to your team as you're, you're coming up, uh, I think that's a big deal. And so I do think that there is something to that. Doug Gottlieb show here on Fox Sports Radio. He's here at Torres. I'm Dan Bayer, John Morosi, Fox Sports Radio contributor and MLB Network. Now we can talk hot stove, John. We are, we are done with the lockout stuff. We can actually talk about signings and what is happening. We've already seen some. You heard uh, Brian Fenley mention there. But let's get to the big names. Where are we at when it comes to uh, one Freddie Freeman and his decision?
0: Well, great question, gentlemen, and uh, it is great to be with you talking about hot stove movement. It really is, is therapeutic to just be able to get into these great rumors yeah. and rumblings out there. Uh, with Freeman, I would say pay close attention to three teams. Of course, the Braves, the team that he helped lead to the World Series last year, the Yankees, who need a lefty bat in a huge way. And then the Dodgers, who, who uh, apparently, according to reports, Dave Roberts saying today that Max Muncy should be ready to go for Opening Day, so that's great news for the Dodgers. But when you consider his injury and the age of this team, getting one significant bat, I think, really is appealing to the Dodgers. I, I wouldn't even rule out the Dodgers on Carlos Correa, but for me, with Freeman, I think it's those three teams: Dodgers, Yankees, Braves. And I think the big question is, does Freeman get the extra year? from either the Dodgers or the Yankees and then circle back to the Braves and say, okay, here's what I've got. Can you match it? Uh, One would assume that if the Braves were comfortable going to that maximum length type contract with Freeman that they would have done so already. Of course, we're now several months away from when he led them to the World Series, but I really do believe that is probably the next major domino to fall is where Freeman winds up going, and I think it's going to be to one of those three teams.
1: Obviously, one of the other big names, JP, is Carlos Correa, uh, been with the Astros forever, kind of a, a pillar of their all their success over the last four, five, six years. Uh, any thoughts, any initial thoughts on where he may end up next season? Well,
0: interestingly, I was told that the team that was most interested in Correa before the lockout began was the Cubs. Uh, Of course, Um, the the Tigers made that significant offer, $275 million over 10 years. Correa turned that down. And the team that had the most volume of conversations with Correa before the lockout began was, in fact, uh, the Chicago Cubs, which is a little surprising. But when you consider where their lineup is... They don't have that mainstay to lead this team offensively. Hayward, of course, is is near the end of his contract. Uh, Nico Horner is currently the shortstop, but he's maybe a better fit for a utility role. Nick Madrigal is is more of a contact hitter. Patrick Wisdom, Schwindel, they're the corner infielders. But, again, I'm not sure that either of them is looked upon as being a a 35-homer, consistent year-after-year type middle-of-the-order bat. So the, the Cubs have this need certainly for a significant bat and I think uh, Correa is the number one guy out there. I also think the Yankees, whether it's Correa, with all apologies to the 2017 season and what happened there uh, in the American League Championship Series, if the Yankees can't get Freeman, then Correa is clearly the next best bat out there for them. I do think one name to watch in the market in general is going to be Matt Olson trade-wise with Oakland. I think whenever Freeman signs, the next move among first baseman will be a trade for Olson because a lot of teams love him, very athletic. Of course, he's from the state of Georgia, so I think stay tuned there. If the Braves do not get Freeman, I think Olson's a tremendous fit there.
2: John Morosi joining us here on Fox Sports Radio, talking hot stove. Uh, we're going to have some NFL news coming up in about five minutes. Some big news from the NFL. But you think Correa and the Dodgers could work with with this Dodgers fan base and what was said over, uh, you know, what happened during the the World Series and the trash can? You still think that relationship could work if Correa uh, going to the Dodgers, or is it too much I- to?
0: Well here here's the thing and certainly there is there is a a significant Uh, relationship to have to consider there, and and it's the same with the Yankees, candidly, Uh, with Correa, because it was part of that same 2017 postseason. It is, uh, I I think, when you look at it, time has healed to the extent that the Dodgers already have a World Series championship since then. Correa, I think, accounted very well for himself with how uh, he has always uh, welcomed questions about what happened in 2017. He's never shied away from it. I think in that respect, uh, he has emerged, and certainly the way he played last year in the postseason. He has emerged with, a, with a, I think, a lot of integrity. Just the way he's handled things the last couple of years. I, I I don't think that he is the Dodgers' first choice. I think they would probably rather have Freeman because of the positional need. You have Trey Turner to play shortstop now, but when you look at it, Seager is now gone. Uh, Turner is a short-term scenario for now. Do you either look at extending Turner or? who is your long-term shortstop? I think t- to me, Gavin Lux is a better fit uh, on-, on the right side of the, the infield over at second base. Uh, it-, it does make you wonder what the long-term fit is going to be for that particular franchise. And I think you have to at least consider the possibility of Correa. Maybe they go down the, the-, the route of a Trevor Story. I think that would be interesting as well uh, if they believe the Story can play that position defensively for multiple years. So a lot, of- a lot of significant bats still out there. I think that, to me, is one point I really wanted to make here today is- is that we saw the Rodon news with the with the Giants. He was to me the best pitcher still out there. So if you're a team like the Toronto Blue Jays that, that has some interest in, in adding a significant arm, uh, or even the Cubs, for example, another team that probably needs some, some multi, multi-year multi type pitching. Uh, I, I do think the list of guys who are there for you is now a little bit more limited. You're, you're, you're going to have to get lucky, I think, unless it's Clayton Kershaw. I think Kershaw is probably a Dodgers or Rangers type of a conversation because of his hometown. Uh, there's just not that many A-level healthy pitchers out there that, that are that are very uh, low on the risk scale. I think if you're signing a Danny Duffy, there's risk there. Could be a high reward, but there's risk baked into a Danny Duffy scenario. So I think uh, really you're going to have to have done your homework well at a time where the market is open and deals are starting to flow, my friends, on, uh, on the pitching and hitting sides as well.
1: Yeah, that was going to be my question, JP. I mean, I know it's hard to kind of even start making predictions with so many things uncertain, but obviously, uh, you know, there were, there were some really, really good teams last year that emerged, obviously most notably among them, the Atlanta Braves World Series champ. Is there any team that people aren't talking about come, now that we're in, you know, getting ready for actual baseball? Is it too early to even start talking about teams until rosters kind of settle themselves out? Uh, what do we need to know from, uh, you know, underrated, overrated, things like that?
0: I think underrated team, team that we should be watching right now, is Seattle. They they actually won one more game last year than the Braves did. Of course, the Braves had the benefit of being in the National League. They go on to win the World Series. The Mariners, uh, of course, they have the longest playoff drought of any team in major North American professional sports. And, and so there's a little bit of a quest there to get this team back to the playoffs. They were so close last year, uh, the, the, that incredible final homestand of the season and some great moments that that, that team put together. And then Kyle Seeger retires so they lose their, their veteran leader, uh, so what now? And that's where I, I really think Chris Bryant to the Mariners makes a ton of sense. West Coast guy, it's a team that needs that, that championship pedigree that Bryant brings, I thought really Chris played excellent down the stretch there for San Francisco. So for me, Bryant and the Mariners, that seems to be a natural fit that I would love to see, just from a fan standpoint. I think that, that team, when Seattle's ballpark is rocking, it is one of the great places to see a game in our country in any sport and uh, I've got a little bit of a soft spot for the way that team has endured this long playoff drought the way the fan base has handled it Uh, they're due for a big season and Chris Bryant would help to make that happen
2: from a simmer to a boil, that's where we expect to see the hot stove. And when it gets to that point, John Morosi will be there. John, thanks so much for the time. Not only today, yesterday, the last week and such. We appreciate it and can't wait for baseball in a couple of weeks. It thanks, sounds man. Sounds
0: great. Dan and Aaron, hey, we kept the faith. We we believed. Now we've got it. The hot stove is here. Games are coming. <laughs> Less than a week away. Spring training games, my friends. Baseball is
2: back. Uh, put on the oven mitts. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. All the best, guys. Thank you. John Morosi, MLB Network, and contributor to Fox Sports Radio. Find him on Twitter at John Morosi. We go to the news desk with Brian Fenley for breaking news.
0: Yes. Breaking news from Fox Sports. Dan and Aaron reports are flying in the Texans quarterback Deshaun Watson no criminal charges this after a grand jury found that there was not enough evidence to criminally charge the quarterback there were nine accusations none were found to be criminal and this now is taken to a civil case what this does is it opens up the trade market for Watson and where he will land that is to be seen but teams have been patiently or rather impatiently waiting to find a verdict NFL Network says that this opens up the path for him in Watson getting a new deal by the start of the new league year, Dan and Aaron.
2: Well, yeah, the criminal charges was the big part. He's still facing uh, the civil cases, but he will not be charged criminally, which was a huge, huge hurdle for some teams when Deshaun Watson was rumored to maybe go to the Dolphins. What Stephen Ross wanted was everything to be done, settle with the civil cases, uh, move on from everything. There were some teams who were Willing to bring Deshaun Watson aboard even with the civil cases still pending. They just wanted to make sure that there were no criminal charges, and now there won't be breaking news. Deshaun Watson will not face criminal charges. Thank you very much, Brian. He's Aaron Torres. I'm Dan Beyer. This is the Doug Gottlieb Show. Today's show is brought to you by one of our favorite cities, Las Vegas, the greatest arena on Earth. Every game, match, race, and competition, it is always on. Whoever you root for, whatever sport you love to watch, the biggest games are even bigger in Vegas. So, make sure to plan your trip today at VisitLasVegas.com. Get Aaron on Twitter at Aaron underscore Torres. You can find me on Twitter at Dan Byer on Fox. We'll talk more about Deshaun Watson. And you need to hear what Jamal Crawford told Dan Patrick today. That's all coming up next year on Fox Sports Radio.
0: Be sure to catch the live edition of the Doug Gottlieb show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Doug Gottlieb show on
2: Fox Sports Radio. He's Aaron Torres. I'm Dan Byer sitting in for Doug. This statement from the Harris County District Attorney's Office on the decision by the grand jury to not charge Deshaun Watson with a crime. Quote, After a Harris County grand jury was presented all the evidence, it had the opportunity to hear from all witnesses. Grand jurors declined to indict Deshaun Watson. Grand jury proceedings are secret by law, so no information related to their inquiry may be disclosed. That from the Harris County DA's office, as Deshaun Watson will not face criminal charges for the allegations made against him. Those civil cases are still uh, pending. He did give a deposition today, according to reports, on those civil cases, but there will be no criminal charges for Deshaun Watson. Aaron Torres, now that this criminal part of the Deshaun Watson saga is in the rearview mirror, where do you think Deshaun Watson plays his football next?
1: It's a great question. It's a great question. I mean, you know, it's just been such a surreal, um, you know, year 16 18 months whatever it's been I mean I remember being on air with Bucky Brooks on a Sunday when Watson reported training camp and I think Bucky and I were under the impression at the time I don't want to speak for Bucky that um that he was going to play this year for like like the Texans were going to play him this year so the fact that he ended up sitting out the full 17 game season the fact that he is now an available quarterback and that teams can trade for him in good conscience. Um, you know, I, I, it's just unbelievable how far we've come. To answer your question directly, you brought up the Steelers earlier. They seem to make sense. The Carolina Panthers, I think they're kind of their back as, uh, is up against the wall, needing to get answers uh, kind mm-hmm. of in year three of the Matt Rule era. Those are just two of the teams that immediately come to mind. I, and I saw our buddy Softy Mallard asking about whether Seahawks fans would want him in Seattle if the opportunity presented itself. The well. problem with Seattle
2: is I just don't know why you trade Russell Wilson and you're trying to reboot your organization and then you give up all these picks for I Deshaun think. Watson. And at first blush, I thought blush is the word. I thought Nick Casario has done an amazing job. Like criticize the Texans all you want. He held, uh, you know, he held off on making any deals until he got what he wanted. The only sticking point, which then popped up in my mind, was Deshaun Watson as a no-trade clause. And you mentioned Carolina because Carolina was one of those teams that was willing to acquire Deshaun Watson if things uh, in the criminal nature were passed. They weren't worried about the civil nature of the cases. They wanted to make sure that there were no criminal charges. And Deshaun Watson reportedly was not interested in going to Carolina, where I thought would be a great spot. A lot of Clemson fans there. Could be a nice soft landing for Deshaun Watson since, uh, you know, that's it's near where he played his college ball, Great that that could, be, that could be a place for him. It's just a matter of now does Deshaun Watson hold all the cards and will Nick Casario get what he wants if Deshaun Watson only wants to go to certain teams? Eagles, another team that's out there. We had Mike Tannerbaum of the 33rd team on earlier. Joe Banner obviously writes for them, and Joe's been on the show with Doug a bunch he pointed out of the eagles as an opportunity just because of the the opportunity with their draft picks and the number of draft picks. So, Deshaun Watson now available and I think the best thing for the Texans in all of this is that Deshaun Watson now has an opportunity uh to go trade to a for team full
1: value too.
2: Yeah, yeah, full value and there's no other the, Russell Wilson's been traded, Aaron Rodgers is going back to the Packers. Like there're going to be a lot of teams that are going to want to be in on him and now you don't have uh like there, there's going to be a bidding war. There are going to be a lot of teams interested. Check out the latest launch of the world of sports at Bet Rivers Sportsbook. Bet Rivers is the trusted name in online sports betting. Must be 21. Must be present in Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, and Pennsylvania to play. Gambling problem? Call one eight hundred Gambler. Time for a segment we like to call. And now, <laughs> what does the fuck say? Jamal Crawford talking to Dan Patrick earlier today.
0: Best duo in basketball right now is who?
2: Kevin Durant, Kyrie
0: Irving. Okay, yeah, I agree. I- Yeah, Yeah, I agree. I feel
2: like they have mismatches most nights, and they both perform the best on the biggest stages, on the brightest stages. Just like last night's game. That was a game within the game for them. They wanted to send a message, and they knew the whole country was watching. They knew Ben Simmons. Like, come on out, Ben. You can come out, and they can boo you, but we got your back. Don't worry about this. We got it. Here's the thing with duos, though, Aaron, and I'll just say this. Like, I think that they have to play off against each other. Like, when we talk about duos, we always talk about Batman and Robin, like, who's the Batman and who's the Robin? Like, they're both just top guys. So there's not like – I don't know how much they feed off each other. I just think that they're two extremely talented basketball players that are the greatest players in the NBA, and they happen to be on the same team. I'm not sure how much chemistry. Like, Shaq and Kobe. Like, Kobe was the guard. Shaq was the big guy. That's when I think of duos. Like, that's how sure. I think they play off each other. That's the thing with Durant and Kyrie. Yeah, they probably are the best two. I just don't know chemistry-wise on, on how it works with them.
1: Well, and I, I, to go back to the opening segment of the show, I also just – I feel like we're totally passing by the idea that, like, at some point Ben Simmons is going to have to play games that matter and, like, he is going to be on the floor in those crowds. And so that was one thing that kind of kind of stood out to me about just some of the coverage from last night, not even Jamal uh, Crawford's uh, conversation specifically, is just I think we're just totally – well, look at how good they looked. They didn't even need Ben Simmons. Well, they're going to need him at some point, and he's going to have to be on the floor. It's just it, – it has nothing to do with what Jamal Crawford said, but it was something I've been thinking about about last night.
2: the Like I even think like stay a uh, Steph and Clay I just combined uh, Steph and Clay the combo is stay. That's what they would be as a as That's a what couple. The kids call them man, <laughs> but like they play well off each other despite playing at the same positions. It's just. I mean, Kyrie and Durant are so good. Not that Steph and Clay aren't because they're magnificent, but they just seem to be more of like a true duo in how they navigate as opposed to Katie's awesome and Kyrie's awesome. They're playing on the same team. He's Aaron Torres. I'm Dan Byer. This is the Doug Gottlieb Show. Doug Gottlieb weighs in next on what's next for Deshaun Watson here on Fox.